0: There was a lot of racism back then that that was completely unbeknownst to me. I thought it was the 70s, black is beautiful. As a white kid growing up on the Upper East Side, I thought everybody was seen equal, but I came to find out it was present in our lives and I was completely oblivious to it.
1: Welcome to 83 Dutchman, a podcast made primarily for the middle-aged men who were once members of the class of 1983 at the Collegiate School as we all get ready for our 40th reunion in May of 2023. I'm Taylor Molly, the class agent for 1983. Each week I'll be catching up with a different person from our era, mostly classmates, but maybe teachers, maybe girlfriends, maybe even the Birdman. This is not a rah-rah School Pride podcast, and it's not about trying to cajole generous donations to a rich, private, all-boys school that maybe doesn't really need the money anyway. We're figuring out what it is, but speaking as the poet that I am, I hope it will be about stories, insights, recent news, successes, failures, regrets, and all manner of artful epiphanies. My guest today is Tony Marr, who was, and I don't think it was just me who thought this, probably the most popular kid in the class of 1983. Funny, personable. You were polite when you needed to be. You were the obvious choice for the quarterback on the seventh and eighth grade football team. You were the pitcher on the baseball team. You were not afraid to talk to actual girls from Breerly, Chapin, or Spence, maybe even Nightingale, Tony Marr, Thank you for joining me. How are you?
0: That was a very
1: sweet introduction. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, in the very first episode of 83 Dutchman, David Kramer reported that you quoted Hank Bear, who used to be a member of the class of 1983. And Hank said collegiate boys either go to Ivy League schools or they go to rehab. Where was it that Hank Bear said that? And were you the one he said it to? Uh,
0: definitely was the one he said it to and Hank said it years ago and he just had a much better experience at his secondary school. We went to Williston Northampton as a boarding school in the middle of ninth grade. He found collegiate, um, unforgiving, I guess is a good way to put it and, uh, has no great love for it. Although he does love to hear me tell stories about all the guys and what they're up to. And I think getting to the meat of what he said, that it is sort of true that my experience with the Collegiate, looking back on it, I have nothing but, but really great memories and a couple of bad ones, but uh, I do think that Collegiate, at that time anyway, focused more heavily on its success stories than it did on its hard luck stories, uh, and there was 50, 52 of us, and there was more than a few hard luck stories, and I count my academic pursuit as one of those, and uh, that wasn't something that collegiate really wanted to talk about or focus on uh uh, they much prefer to focus on yale than jail i guess is what i'm trying to say
1: which reminds me um hank he also said that you were going to be the perfect guest for my second episode because david kramer was the head boy and you were the worst boy do you think hank left collegiate because he didn't want to go to rehab and he wasn't smart enough to get into an Ivy League school
0: no, 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 no! I don't. I think Hank wasn't having a great time of it at collegiate, and he, uh, the what he chose to do proved that he was right in leaving because he really loves Williston. Still to this day, he's a donor. He went to Bates uh, in Maine, didn't love Bates, and so any of his love, his his finance goes towards Williston, Northampton. So he made a great choice for himself.
1: My first memory of you uh, comes from gym class in first or second grade. Our teacher was a guy named Mr. Goggins, and he had to pull you out of a dodgeball game and sit you on the benches because you were so angry and you had become hysterical. You were Mm hyperventilating, red-faced, crying, and just seething with anger. I don't know whether he had made a bad call. And I remember thinking at 6 or 7, holy shit. (laughs) My first question is about your temper. And then I want to I I twist it by saying that in preparation for this interview, I read that your brother, David Marr III, who was class of 79, uh, in an interview, he said that he had inherited his mother's golf swing <laughs> and, his, and his father's temper. What about you? And is the temper connected to rehab? in any way.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, let me just start out by saying that when you said that to me, it really nailed me. And, uh, when, when we spoke uh, a few months ago and I thought it was very insightful on your part. And one of those kind of things that I wish I could have had explained to me back in 1974 or 75 or whenever that was that we were in gym class with Mr. Goggins, who I do remember. I remember his glasses. I remember he seemed like a nice enough guy. Um, And my temper was terrible from the time I was a a young kid. It's better now. Uh, I I share it with every member of my family. I think my brother was being kind to my mom because the reason my mom and dad couldn't get it together is because they were two alphas and... They both had bad tempers. And it, there's only room for one terrible temper in a marriage, I think. So that didn't work. Um, but I did inherit my dad's golf swing. So I'm happy about that. My brother's golf swing is... is uh, even though he scores better, I look better on the golf course, <laughs> which is what's more important. So, do, do you have any other brothers? At that time, I thought I only had a brother, a sister, and myself. And then I had two stepbrothers when he remarried, but uh, came to find out later on, my mother had given birth prior to marrying and given the child up for adoption. So I found in the last five years, I have another sister and uh, we've become good friends. Yeah. Through 23 and me, my aunt Ellen, Hank's mother, and my real oldest sister, who I did not know I had, both put in. And, and the story was told not long after my mother died, that, that my aunt Ellen told us that, that, uh, we had another member of the family. So, so it was kind of interesting stuff.
1: So your aunt chose not to keep the secret that her sister carried to her grave.
0: Wow. You went right there. That's that, that took a little bit of, (laughs) took a little bit of, of, uh, family therapy to get through that one. But yeah, that, that was, that was, I did not receive that. Well, I didn't think it was her story to tell. Uh, but, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I have a sister. She lives in upstate New York and uh, everyone's happy that we know each other. And I'm really happy that she has some connection to blood relations that she never had before in her life. So it's really been nice to give her that. So, yeah. 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 But, Oh, I want to tell you, it's going back to my dad because we kind of got sidetracked there. My dad in 1965, won the PGA, the one of the four major golf tournaments on the day I was born. So it's more it's more than just 1965 was the best year, the best day of his life, Sunday August 15th, 1965 was the day I was born, but he won the PGA first and then I was born a couple hours later. So as I like to tell everybody in the golf world that it was all downhill after that.
1: Did he did he ever win another PGA
0: He never won another tournament again. And Jack Nicholas was quoted by my mother as saying the worst thing that ever happened to Dave Marr was winning the PGA, which I thought is very interesting. Only somebody as smart as Jack could figure that out. So
1: let me go back to something I said in, in the intro about, um, about your, uh, popularity. When I say that you were likely one of the most popular kids in the class of 1983, does that resonate for you or, or does, or does the loneliness make sense? What do you think?
0: I might have been the most popular guy in the class of
1: eighty-three as far
0: as you know, girls in other schools went and such, and nightlife and such, but there was other more successful guys in the class of eighty-three, and I was well aware of that. That had that was not lost on me. And secondarily. When you're sort of running around the city, you're always going to bump into somebody that is even more popular than you around the city. And there was a couple of guys, and I'm still friends with some of them. A lot of them aren't around anymore, and I mean not living anymore. Um, but there's a couple of them that were clearly more popular than me that had their names on the invites to Studio 54 and such. So uh, And just were better known, uh, for whatever reason. So I never felt like I'm the most popular and I never, ever, one of the best things and, and hopefully this will be something that'll make it in. One of my favorite things about collegiate is I never felt lonely at all. I always felt like I had 52 brothers, really close brothers there. And I've never felt as close to a big group of, of guys like that again in my life. And as far as popularity and loneliness goes, well, I do know loneliness, but that's from another direction. Um,
1: so yeah, that's all I can say about that, I guess. But you mentioned people who aren't around anymore and, uh, and this is going to get, this is going to get dark fast, but, but, um, but, uh, you know, what else gets dark, fast life, life gets dark, um, just ask Mark Tompkins or, um, Michael Chalfin. Okay. Those are the only two guys in our class to have died so far that I know of. My question to you is, how often do you feel like you might have dodged a bullet? Oh,
0: every day, every day. I would never have made it this far. Uh, I was going to die behind the wheel of a car. I was uh, a guy who you could never take the keys away from me. Growing up in New York was, uh, I call it the rubber room for 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 people like myself, because there's a lot of built-in uh, uh safety valves in New York city. Cause you're not driving and, uh, you're taking the subway and, you know, people talk about New York being dangerous, but it's also, it's also a, a great place to have a good time and, and get over Um, but yeah, as far as, uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> the last two guys I ever did Coke with both are dead. The last guy I drank with od in Thailand. Um, you know, my best friend who took me to rehab is dead. Uh, you know, so I've known a lot of death in my age group, uh, much more so than my brother's sister, most people I know, I don't know why it seems to be unique in some respects to our generation, but I say generation, my brothers of my generation, but the class of eighty three for some reason, not our class because I think if you looked at the actuarial table, we're doing pretty good, maybe I'm wrong about that, but um, as far as people I knew and people I ran around with yeah it's it was it's been pretty grim,
1: uh lots of it, pretty grim. Um, Listen, I want to ask you about an incident that happened in fifth or sixth grade. It has to do with Stephen Polakoff. Dr. Barter came into, into class or something like that, and we all stood up. And then when we all sat back down, you jumped out of your seat, clutching your butt. Stephen claimed that as he was sitting down, I know that he was sitting on your right, so he he said his left hand, which was clutching his pencil, just accidentally, you know, was was uh, put down on your seat, and you sat straight down on his sharpened pencil, and you were taken out, uh, and where Doctor D'Angelo was like looking for the pencil lead, and uh, and uh, we all, you know, you were going to have to go to the nurse, and you you may not know this, but um, like. Ten minutes after you were gone, Steven Polakoff just burst into tears. And we all said, we all said, you know, no, it was an accident. You 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 claim it was an accident. Because he he swore he was just, I mean, he even demonstrated the motion and it but it was an it was an odd motion. And I think I think his tears meant that he fucking had it in for you. Oh, I think that was the first F-bomb I dropped on this, but. Okay.
0: I actually think it's worse than an accident. I think that I've always liked Steven. I still, to this day, like Stephen. I didn't hold a grudge about it. Uh, he ended up living in New Canaan for a while. My sister and he became friendly. She was living in New Canaan. I think that Stephen just the way some sociopaths do from time to time, wanted to see what would happen if he did this, like, Buried a cat up to its neck and then ran over it with a lawnmower. You know, I think there was a little bit going on there. Like, let's just see what happens. Let, if I just do this, I don't think Stephen's a full time sociopath, but I think he's got a little bit like it, it's just sort of a, you know, it's part from time, to time sociopath.
1: I'm a poet. I get it.
0: And the best part of the story is that Dr. D'Angelo was not the last person to look for the lead. Can you, can you quite imagine who the last person to, to do a very in-depth search? Of my frenulum, Lynn Hershorn. In my dreams, it was Lynn Hershorn. It was Jean Toter. <laughs> oh, the nurse Who just died, didn't she just? Who die? was one of? Yes, yeah, she did. In the last couple of years, one of the really nice, really nice woman, but not somebody you want to spread your legs for and, and say, "I said in sixth grade and look at my hairless nutsack and and uh, you know, oh my god, just the worst." Just the worst. But very lucky, because I mean, Alec, if you're listening, my
1: son, whose name is Alec, uh, if you're listening, uh,
0: you know, you wouldn't have been a thing if if it if it had been a few inches one way or the other. So
1: Tony, as we wind down, I want to give the opportunity to uh is there is there a a formative memory or two from collegiate that you have?
0: Wow, I couldn't boil it down into one or two things, but I do want to make sure to say the following. And that is that I've never made friends as close as the ones I have in collegiate. Um, and I feel like just the way we've picked up a conversation here and you and I haven't spoken on a phone in 40 years. Um, you know, I feel like it could do that with anybody else from collegiate. Uh, they'd have to be a little bit outgoing to, for me to get into the conversation, kind of the way you are, but that's important to me. But I do also want to mention that something I was completely oblivious to until Mark Tompkins passed away And it only became known to me in the aftermath of his dying. And that's what was going on for Mark and other African-American kids in the class. Theo was uh, one I think of a lot. Um, There was a lot of racism back then that, that was completely unbeknownst to me. I thought it was the 70s. Black is beautiful. As a white kid growing up on the Upper East Side, I thought everybody was seen equal, but I came to find out, and Mark was silent about this growing up, he did mention when he was driving around Santa Monica as an assistant DA for Gil Garcetti out there, that he often got pulled over for driving while black and had to show his ADA badge to the cops in, in Santa Monica. Um, but it just, it, that's not, that that isn't where it started in Mark Tompkins' life. Uh, it started a lot earlier. It was present in our lives and I was completely oblivious to it
1: and 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 oblivious uh is come is adjacent to complicit don't you think yeah I, I you know no I don't I want I don't want to take
0: that I don't know Taylor it's a good question um I don't know how much you can ask a 12 year old to be you know a, different times, different places. It's an anachronism. It's unfair to judge them by today's standards. I don't know. Um, I just, I got to say, and I'm getting choked up here, when I heard about it, my heart broke. When, when 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 it was made aware to me by his father, by Lindsay, by other people, and when it was confirmed by other people, by Theo, by Carrie Cheesborough, by people like that, it. my heart broke. My heart broke. And, and uh, you know, I just... I don't know what to say other than that. I know the collegiate's going in, you know, famously now in the New York Post, they're going to great lengths to address certain situations. Um, I, you know, I don't know how, 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 I I think it's a different time and place. And I I can't know what the school feels like inside. None of us can, unless we were, you know, freshmen or sophomores there. Um, But I just think it's important to say that, my experience there wasn't everybody's experience there and for good reason and unfair reasons. So that's it. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Tony Marr, so much. This conversation is definitely just beginning. And thank you for listening to 83 Dutchman. I'm Taylor Molly. Don't forget that class notes are due very early this year by September 29th. And I'm collecting them this time on a Google Doc. The link is in the bottom of the last few emails that I've sent the class. I'll be back soon with another episode of 83 Dutchman, so please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And reach out to me if you'd like to be one of my next guests. This will always be utterly unconnected to making gifts to the school, which I hope you will do automatically. I will see you next May, if not sooner. Bye-bye.